0: Hello, and welcome back to the Freedom Chasers podcast. Our guest today isn't just any communication expert. He's the brains behind MasterTalk, the platforms that's revolutionizing how we understand and improve our communication skills. Whether you're an executive aiming to dominate the boardroom and an entrepreneur seeking to captivate your audience, he's your guy. And guess what? He's democratizing the world of communication with his wildly popular YouTube channel, MasterTalk. Make sure everyone, making sure everyone, Yes, everyone gets a chance to master the art of communication. Give it up for our communication maestro, Brendan. Thank you so much for joining us, man. I'd love to jump right into it. So obviously, you're a communication expert. Anybody out there that's looking to start speaking more, where do you
1: think they should start? For sure, Tim. First of all, it's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. In terms of people, if you're really if you're focusing on speak engagements, you know my advice is always the same for people getting started. Don't wait for permission. Don't wait for somebody to pick you. Don't wait for somebody to say, hey, you're the, you're the right speaker for my audience. You should come speak. No, no, no. This is how I started my speaking career, Tim. I opened a Zoom call. I said I was going to do a presentation on communication. And I invited five of my friends. And I just did that every two weeks for free. And then at some point, the Zoom call got bigger A lot more people started showing up to that call because it was free and I was a good speaker. And one of them was just like, hey, can you come speak at my company? I'll pay you money to give the same workshop to my team. And that's how I got my first paid speaking engagements. It's just most people wait for permission, Tim. And that's why I think they, they never get there. Yeah, I think a lot of people wait for permission. And I think, especially
0: in the entrepreneur world, imposter syndrome is a very, very big part of this, too. So how do you define whether or not you're ready to be speaking publicly?
1: Yeah, you know, for me, Tim, I don't think it's a great question. I don't think there's a there's a line that says you're ready, you're not ready. I think it's more about identity and response. So what does that mean? identity means do you believe you're a speaker and do you want to be a speaker i think that's desire is also important there and the second piece is response so response just means you give a workshop and if people go that was good then it wasn't good then you stink right so now it's more about are you willing to make it better and if the answer is yes you're putting you're willing to put in the time to make your next one better then you're going to get better And the other piece to that is doing the same presentation over and over again. So let's say that workshop I was telling you about since 2019. I've swapped it a couple of times, but I can confidently tell you, Tim, the last 100 times I've done it now, it's literally the same presentation over and over And over again. So are you willing to do that? And if the answer is no, then you definitely shouldn't be a speaker. But if the answer is yes, I really want to do that. That makes perfect. That's exactly what I want to do with my life. I don't see how you couldn't get better. Like it'd be impossible if you did the same talk a hundred times.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Is that what you recommend? Do you recommend people start with the same talk? And if so, how long do you take that talk before you start doing other ones? So I'm a big George Carlin fan. He would do one routine for a year and then he'd throw it all out and start all over. Is that something that you would
1: attest to? Or just give me some idea what your thought process is there. And, and, that's, and that's speaking into the fact that we can both agree George Carlin is a legend, right, in, mm-hmm. in stand-up comedy. But we're making the mistake of doing cure, Tim is we're trying to make the exception the norm right we're taking a 0.1 percent not a one percent a 0.1 percent talent in in george carl a top 0.1 percent talent and saying oh that's that's how everybody else should do it no 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 no, that's wrong that's like looking at elon musk and going oh well elon musk is a horrible communicator so i guess communication is important yeah good nice try like he's the exception he's not the norm i think you're actually me and you actually are, are great examples of this my first YouTube video on Master Talk was garbage. It was horrible. But because I kept doing it, and I've what filmed 200 videos on YouTube, I've, I'm obviously a lot better at it. And you can go watch my first one. And I think if I'm not mistaken, your, your podcast has hundreds of episodes, too. So I'm sure if somebody listened to your first episode, they'd be like, who's this guy? And now they're listening to what they're, they're hearing now. And you're a lot more effective, obviously, at what you do. So that's really the key
0: absolutely you'd be amazed how fast you get better but you'll also be amazed um because the growth is so quickly like for me if i look back 30 days i'm like man i used to suck um (laughs) just 30 days if i look back to the beginning i'm just like man i used to really really suck but it's one of those things like practice makes perfect and, and there's really no way to get good without getting out there and doing it so i mean obviously everybody's afraid of being on the stage well maybe not everybody but the majority of people like most people are more afraid of being on stage than death, which is just astounding. Somebody out there actually wants to be a speaker, because as you mentioned, that's a very important thing, but they're afraid to get on stage. What would you recommend to them?
1: For sure, to You know, for me, the recommendation for anyone who's fearful on stage is realize that who cares if you're fearful? There's so many things in your life that you were scared of, but you did anyways. And I want all of you listening to think about that. My coach calls this the impossible law. What are the five most important accomplishments you've achieved in your life? So one of them could be having your first baby. The second one could be getting a big job, starting a business, doing something like that, doing something magical, something meaningful, did, or moving to another country, right? being an immigrant. Did any of these things have zero fear attached to them? Of course not. All of these things that we're proud of have some fear attached to them. So the better question now becomes, Tim, just for us as a society, why did we do it anyways? despite the fear and the answer to that question is because the motivation was greater than the fear that it was associated with yeah i don't i I don't want to date girls i'm really scared but you know what i also don't want to be alone so let's just figure this out and go on a couple of dates and see what happens right so it's the it's the same game with speaking except the problem that we have tim is we don't have the motivation that's why the question i always implore people to think about is how would your life change if you became an exceptional communicator and really starting to dig deeper there?
0: Absolutely. So I think another very common limiting belief that people have in this category, Brendan, is they're like, I'm an introvert. I'm shy. I can't get up on stage. And I'm well. Before you answer, um, I'll just like, I think that's just the most <laughs> limiting thing you could think. Because also, I think most people just get that wrong too. A lot of people are actually extroverts that think they're introverts simply because they are simply misidentifying themselves. But what would you tell to the introvert that thinks
1: that they simply can't get up on stage? For sure, Tim. So for me, it's always presenting the evidence of the opposite, right? There's so many speakers who are self labeled as introverts, like Simon Sinek, John Maxwell, who speak really, really well. And I would also argue, does it make sense that 100% of everybody in theater in the world is an extrovert? Highly doubt that. That makes no sense. There has to be some introverts. So what is the difference? The difference is their perception of reality. So the introvert, whenever they're in the theater, they don't think to themselves, oh my God, this is a death wish. They go, well, this is an opportunity for me to create a great experience for my audience. So I'm going to show up and I'm going to play the part. And that's really the key for for all of you as introverts listening to this. It's not necessarily to play the part, but rather leverage the strengths you already have in communication, which I'll list off as three main ones. Pausing. Pausing is the most important tool. And speaking. But introverts are a lot better at pausing. Because they speak less on average, Tim, when they're at a bar, when they're at a party, etc. Number two is listening. Introverts talk less, so they'll listen more. Like, I'm really good at guesting on a podcast. I'm horrible at hosting it. You're way more talented than at this. Because I love talking. I'm really bad at listening, right? So that makes sense. That's why I'm master talk, not master listen, right? So that's really the key. As an extrovert, I always want to talk. So it's harder. It took me years to get really good at listening, and I'm still working on it. And then the third piece is accessibility. Introverts are a lot more accessible as speakers, Tim. If you take somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk, that I absolutely adore, you'll either look at the guy and say, I love this guy. He's my messiah. Or you'll look at him and say, I am not taking my kids near this guy. He's swearing all the time. He's a danger to society. You either believe one or the two things. Because when you're extroverted, you're more, uh, you're more. You're more polarizing as a speaker, whereas when you're introverted, you're more accessible. Nobody says – and I'll throw it back to you, Tim. Nobody says, I hate Brene Brown. Nobody goes, oh, I hate Brene Brown because if you say that, the FBI is going to come after you. And that's really the point I want to drive. You're more accessible. Absolutely. Well, first off, I'm sure you'd be a tremendous
0: podcaster, man. Um, It's actually been the greatest tool I've had learning how to listen, (laughs) because obviously you need to be actively listening to be in this chair. If you're not, you're not going to be in a good place. (laughs) So it is the best listening tool I've ever had. Um, You mentioned that pausing is the most important tool in speaking. And I would say that is definitely a weakness for me. If you haven't noticed, I speak probably way too fast. (laughs) So what recommendation do you have to somebody that's naturally a fast speaker? I have ADHD. I speak fast because
1: my brain moves fast. So how would I naturally slow that down? For sure, Tim. I don't think that's necessarily bad in your case, just because it fits your style of speaking really well. Like it just fits the way that you communicate. But for most people that would be a mistake. You're right. Where if you're not pausing effectively enough, it's it's wrong. So there's a couple of things to do. I'll give you a couple of tidbits on the menu and you kind of pick what you want to order. The first strategy I like is the coffee cup. So whenever you look at a coffee cup, when you think of coffee or just sitting in a garden and taking a breath. I always get people to look at a mug and help them, remind them to slow down. That's one. A second tip is to do what I call the forced silence drill, where whenever I'm coaching a client or a student, Tim, I'll point at them periodically. And I'll say, whenever I'm pointing at you, you have to pause. So let's say I'm coaching you and you're talking, you're talking, and I point at you, you have to pause until I let the finger go, right? Until I do this until I move my finger away, for those of you listening to the audio, and then you're back to speaking again. So that's another way to work on pauses.
0: I can imagine that's extremely uncomfortable for a lot of people. How long do you hold that pause? Because if you just held that for like three seconds for me,
1: my brain would be going nuts. I'm a little devious. So it's going to depend on the level of comfortability I have with the person and how comfortable they are with me. Like if I see they're crying, they're panicking, I go really easy on that. I go, okay, let's do one sec. But if I see somebody can take my heat, I might have them pause for 30 seconds, honestly. Just to really mess with them a little bit. Because if they do this for a few days, they'll get really good at pausing really quickly. So it's not something they do for the rest of their life.
0: Okay. Well, that's cool. So I mean as a as a as an exercise, it's not something that you have to do probably for the next year. You could probably teach yourself how to pause strategically in let's say a week or
1: two. I mean, yeah, definitely for improvements a week or two. I won't say guaranteed 100% results a week or two. Probably a month is more correct, but definitely you'll see improvements if you do this for a week or two, for sure. Very cool. So let's
0: talk about getting started. So let's say somebody out there, they have the motivation to be an amazing speaker. They have the skill set to at least get up on the stage and to fail repeatedly. That's my favorite part about success. You don't learn anything if you don't mess up. What would be the
1: first steps that you
0: encourage people to take?
1: For sure, to make sure somebody doesn't mess up in general. So for me, it's all it all goes back to working the fundamentals, Tim. Communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time. One of those balls is body language, one of them is facial expressions, one of them's eye contact, one of them's storytelling. And if you try to juggle all the balls at the same time, it gets really confusing really fast. So for me, the question has always been, what are the three easiest exercises that we can practice and gain momentum in the skill set really rapidly? So the first one is the random word exercise right? You pick a word like soapbox, like tea, like kettlebell, and you create a random presentation out of thin air. And you do this for 60 seconds, no preparation. But if you do this a few times, you'll gain two new skill sets. Number one is if you can make sense out of nonsense, you can make sense out of anything. And the second main purpose is it's easier for you to do small talk? What is small talk at the end of the day, Tim? You meet a stranger that you don't know. You ask them questions and you answer questions that you haven't prepared for. That's what small talk is. So if you can practice those random word exercises, you're going to be a lot wittier whenever you're speaking in general to people.
0: Random word exercises. I love that. So I actually went to like an improv class and that's one of the things they'll have you do. They're like, you need to talk about this for three minutes. It's like three minutes. I need to talk about that. That's absolutely absurd. Would you recommend improv is a good um, way to develop your speaking skills? I do
1: recommend uh, improv, Tim, but I'll add a little nuance. Like the three-minute thing is a little overwhelming for beginners. So that's why I created this new exercise, which isn't really new, but it's derived from improv classes I've taken, things like that, where that's a little intimidating. So my version is more something like, do the light bulb, but do it for as long as you can. If it's 30 seconds, it's 30 seconds. If it's 10 seconds, it's 10 seconds. If it's two minutes, it's two minutes. And the other piece that improv doesn't focus enough on, unless you really go to a lot of classes, which most people won't commit to, honestly, is volume. So volume means do the random word exercise five times a day and commit to doing it for three weeks. Because if you do it five minutes a day, which isn't that hard, you'll get to 100 pretty quickly. That's where you really start to see the results. And also for those of you who have children, I always recommend doing this with your kids. If you can't hire a coach like me, do this with your kids, do this with people in your life so that way you can get to 100 very rapidly.
0: Okay, cool. So you were talking about some skills that you need to develop as a speaker. Let's get into body language a little bit. And I can also speak from this, from personal experience. I have a lot of strange body language when I'm on stage. Like, I don't know what the hell to do with my hands. I'll be sitting there like this, and then I'll be like this. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. So how? (laughs) Because I don't have that right now. It's weird. For some reason, this is more comfortable for me. But what do you do with your hands when you're on stage? Or what would be some general advice to
1: take in? For sure, Tim. So I would say not to worry too much about it. I know that sounds a little controversial, but I think your body language is just fine. I think the mistakes that most people make with body language is more on what not to do versus what to do. Example, the hand freeze. Sticking your hands on your body the entire time and not moving it at all, not a good idea. Putting your hands in your pockets, not a good idea. Crossing your arms like this in a very aggressive way while you're speaking the entire time, not a good idea. Putting your hands behind your back, Not a good idea. Doing the hand ninja, moving your hands like a, like a gigolo or whatever they call those things, those little inflatable things in front of a car washes, right? Not a good idea. If you can avoid those five things that I just called out and you move your hands in a way that's moderate, you don't go crazy. You, if you want to be more advanced, you match the body language. So let's say if I say something like, here's what I'm thinking, I'll point, I'll point at my, my skull. Because I'm matching the body language to what I'm saying. That's a little bit more nuanced. But at the end of the day, as, if, as long as you focus on what not to do versus what to do, you'll be fine.
0: Okay, so moving on to the next point that you made. Obviously, storytelling is a great way to bring people in and help them relate to you. What are some general storytelling tips that you could give to somebody? How do they find out what the story that they should
1: tell, really? for sure tim you know for me storytelling is like ball 11 in my 18 ball analogy here's why if you have the best story in the world but you deliver it like this once upon a time right so my friend bill like it just doesn't work because if you don't deliver it properly you can't tell a great story so if so my first recommendation first and foremost is if you're not willing to do the random word x 100 times forget about storytelling You're not going to be able to tell great stories because your fundamentals will be weak because storytelling requires multiple different balls at the same time. So going back into storytelling, what this means now is you take a step back and you go, okay, Les Brown says, never make a point without telling a story and never tell a story without making a point. What does Les mean by this quote? He means that every great story starts with a key outcome first. We all have that friend in our life, Tim, who comes up to us and says, hey, Brendan, you wouldn't believe what happened last week. Tim, you wouldn't believe what happened yesterday. And you're like, what happened? But then the rambling and then 20 minutes later, you're like, but what happened? Like, where is this guy going with the story? Because there's no key lesson. There's no key outcome. So the strategy becomes start with the lesson first. Make a list of everything you want to teach. I'll give an example with me. What's one of my key outcomes? What's my biggest one today? Convince anybody that they can be a great storyteller. Uh, not storyteller, but communicator. Convince anyone that they can be a great speaker. So now what are the stories in my life that help me prove that story, that help me prove that lesson and teach that lesson? So now there's so many different ways you can go about it. You could tell the story of somebody else. You could do this. But the one that works best for me after I've tried 100 or 50 or 75, doesn't matter is my own personal story. Look, I got a crooked left arm. I was born and raised in Montreal, a city where you need to know to speak French, which is a language I didn't know. I was a kid when I started coaching CEOs and I have a bachelor's degree in accounting. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if I could do this, anybody listening is can figure out speaking. And that's really the point.
0: Absolutely. So I got to dive deeper into this now. You said you were a kid when you were teaching CEOs. How did that
1: happen? For sure, Tim. So, so by kid, I don't mean twelve years old either. Look, I, I, so I've been doing this for eight years. I'm 27 currently, but when I started MasterTalk, I was 23, and I coached. I started coaching C level when I was 20. So, how did that happen? So, the way that it happened was I started coaching, and this is my advice for people that are looking to get started on anything: is by Ali Gadet. If you help one person, the world will give you permission to help everyone else. So, what does that mean? That means you start with the people that you know. So I didn't start with CEOs, obviously, when I was 19. That was my first ever coaching session with somebody. So when I was 19, it was you know kids my own age, other 19-year-old kids, people in, uh, in uh, pro bono initiatives who were like 16. I wasn't charging for these things, just helping them because they could relate to me. And I also didn't know what I was doing. But then as I got older... I started coaching people a little bit older, maybe 21, 22. And then I jumped straight to CEOs. Why is that? Is it because the CEO of Walmart reached out to me? No, that's not the reason. It's because a lot of my buddies, Tim, started tech companies. But a lot of these tech CEOs are in their 20s. So it felt like I was coaching my friends. Because they needed my help, but they couldn't afford a coach. So I was just like, yeah, that's how I gained C-level experience. And then obviously today I'm coaching CEOs in their 50s, 40s, 60s. But I started with CEOs in their 20s.
0: With that rapid of a growth pattern, did you ever deal with imposter syndrome? I ask because so many of our guests have to deal with it. It's an entrepreneurial thing. It is a
1: constant. I think it deals with the way entrepreneurs think. Was that ever an issue for you? I mean, I'm probably the most the the most powerful model of imposter syndrome, one of the most in the world, because I started coaching people double, triple my age, and for some, even today, the, some of them are still double my age. It's not so much a, a big deal today, but when I started, absolutely. So, how do you overcome this? I'll tell a story and then I'll give some advice. And the story is about directions. So, let's say I come to where you live. Where are you based, Tim? Just just so I know. I'll just use it as an example. Chicago, Chicago. Awesome. So let's say I came to Chicago, which I was in April, which is really nice. And I came to Chicago and I said, Hey, I'm in the city. What should I do? You'll probably tell me, right? You won't overthink it too much. You'll go, Hey, check out this restaurant, go to this park, do this thing. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. It would not be a hard question to answer. Right. In the same way, by the way, that if you came to Montreal where I live, and you say, hey, Brennan, what should I do? I'm in the city for a day. I'll probably tell you. But isn't that bizarre, Tim? Because you're not a tour guide. You're not the number one expert of Chicago. Is your mom the mayor of Chicago? Is your dad the mayor of Chicago? No. So why do you feel qualified to give advice? And the reason is really simple, because you know a little bit more about your city than I do. And that's how I define expertise. For me, expertise is not about having a master's degree or a PhD. It's just about saying, am I helping somebody who's one or two chapters behind me in that skill set? So in the same way, you know, 10 times more than I do about uh, Chicago. I mean, that's not the only thing. Uh, How to host a podcast, how to ask great questions, how to be entertaining when you're speaking as a host of a show. There's a lot of things that I know a little bit more than you do, too. The city of Montreal, how to grow up in a South Asian family, right? Those little (laughs) things. And that's the way that you kill imposter syndrome. You kill it by focusing on the people that you're comfortable serving first. And my example is the best case study of this. Yeah, I can gloat all day today, Tim, about all of my C-suite clientele and how much success I have. But that's not me, right? It's when I started seven years ago, it was 15-year-old girls. 14 year old kids, right, who saw me as the expert, and that was what I was comfortable coaching because I don't want to coach people older than me. Like, I don't know anything about speech coaching. And then I coach people my own age, then people older than me, then CEOs of people in their 20s. But then I said, well, shit, like if I'm coaching the technology CEO in their 20s, I could probably coach an engineer in their 30s, right? So on and so forth. And that's how you kill imposter syndrome.
0: When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. And the results prove this. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secret that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is why we have opened up a few one-on-one coaching slots with Freedom Chasers Coaching, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are and where you want to go, and most importantly, how you want to get there. Where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are, where you want to go, and how you want to get there. The benefit of working with Matt and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 successful people every single week we have accumulated hundreds of seven figure strategies and gotten the inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs we are able to work with you to pick the strategy that will fit the best and then help you create the custom plan and steps to take you quickly into financial freedom the fastest way between two points is a straight line if you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Yeah, absolutely. I align so much with that. I I like the term being a relative expert. It's like I only need to be an expert relative to whoever I'm speaking to. And as you said, one to two steps is plenty. I actually like that degree of expertise, because it forces you to move faster, because you're teaching somebody to catch up to you, you better keep learning along the way. Um, So we've talked about a couple exercises. Are there any other exercises? I imagine you just have a fountain full of these things. What other exercises would you recommend to get
1: somebody better at speaking? You're absolutely right, Tim. And I always try my best because it's not about I don't want to share the tips. It's more about saying, hey, are we implementing them? So here's what I want us to do, Tim. I'm going to focus on the big three. I call this my easy threes right? Because public seems like juggling 18 balls. But if you do just these three exercises on a daily basis, I can 100% guarantee you will improve in speaking. So the first one we covered, which is the random word exercise, which bears repeating. So you pick a word like tissue box, like headphone, like royalty, and you create a random presentation out of thin air. Thin air. And if you can do that presentation three times a day, five times a day with five different words, goat milk, uh, avocado, canyon, door, and you do this for three weeks, you're on your way. That's tip one. Tip two is the question drill, which we're indirectly practicing right now. We get asked questions all the time, Tim, in our life, at school, at work, on a bus, on a sales call. But a lot of us are not prepared for those questions. I remember some guy asked me a few years ago, hey, Brennan, where does the fear of communication come from? And I look at the guy, Tim, and I go, ah, I don't know, man, Saskatchewan, Chicago, Los Angeles, you tell me, I have no idea. So how do I fix this? Every single day, Tim, I answered one question that I thought the world would ask me about my expertise, my products, or my services. Until I had an answer for most things. So day one was, hey, Brendan, how do I guess really well on podcasts? Day two is, what's your vision for MasterTalk? Day three was, what's your tips for introverts? Day four is, how do you overcome your fear of communication? But if you do one of these, every single day, Tim, you'll have answered 365 questions about your expertise if you do this for a year, and you'll be bulletproof. And then finally, number three, my favorite, the video message. And I'll give a little twist on this. I call this the birthday video message, and it's something I implement. You know, I'll never tell you to do something, Tim, that I'm not doing myself. So on my Google Calendar, which is right here on my other screen, it tells me whose birthday it is. And that could be a a high-level client, a business partner, a family member, a friend that I adore. And what I'll do, Tim, is I'll literally take out my phone. I'll open my camera. I'll put a stupid birthday hat on that I bought from Amazon for $12. And then I'll open the camera and I'll say, hey, Tim, guess whose birthday it is today? Is it Michelle Obama's birthday? Is it uh, uh, George Clooney's birthday? Wait a second. It's your birthday. And I'm super grateful for you and hope you have a great day. Just do that three people you love and you're all set. Easy threes. Easy threes, man. This is
0: awesome. Um, Cool. So. Brendan, if I'm like, hey, I want to get on stage. I want to get on stage soon. What would you recommend I do? And let's try to separate it from the the easy answer of just ask a lot of people. Because I know if I ask 300 people, Brendan, somebody's going to say yes, even if I suck. But what else can I do on top of that?
1: Right. So so now let's let's segregate this a little bit, Jim. Right. Which is. There's stages, which is you're speaking for a fee. There's stages where you're giving a workshop online. There's stages where you're giving, you're guesting on a podcast. And the, the answer is really different for all three of these. So I'll tell you what I do for all of them. So for podcast guesting, I'm fortunate today in my career. And this is what happens after you do a lot of them. I've guessed on 500 podcasts. just so people have my number. So what happens, I, I saw the reaction. You're like, oh my God, what? So then obviously, because you guessed on so many podcasts, A, you get really good at it. And B, everybody knows you in the industry. So now you start getting invites all the time. And I have to go like, oh, okay, like I don't do these anymore. <laughs> Unless they're like super nice, like from you. So so that's, that's the key. So the, the advice is, it really is what you said. But let me emphasize something different. You have to really pitch a lot of people. But the problem with the pitch, this is where people go wrong, Tim. The problem is you're pitching really badly. And here's my secret sauce. I actually don't share the secret sauce a lot publicly. So you better implement this if you're listening to this podcast is when I pitch a show, or at least when I used to, I still pitch a couple of shows, but it's not nearly the volume we used to because I burnt out from guesting on podcasts after a few hundred of them. But basically, what and you can tell it works because a lot of these were cold. This was not people who knew me. So this is what I do. Keep the email short. um, Mention their name specifically. Mention the podcast name. You don't necessarily need to listen to the episode. It takes too long. And then what you do at the end, this is the kicker. You add a YouTube video of you sharing tips. And I want to be clear with what I mean here, Tim. You do not need an established YouTube channel like me to make this strategy successful. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're a business coach. You want to teach three business strategies to somebody's audience. Don't BS around the bush. Make a video on Zoom. What are your top three? These are my tips. A, B, C. And you send that video. So it's not a video pitch. So I'm pitching Tim. This is the video. So what does Tim do? Because he's not going to listen to one of my podcasts. Because he gets 20 pitches a day. If you have 100 episodes, a few hundred, you're getting 10 pitches a day. We both know that, right? So, so I'm going to pump you up a little bit. Right? So he's getting a lot of pitches. He's not going to watch the uh, recording. So what is he going to do? But the YouTube video, he'll click it. He's like, oh, I'm curious. So what's happening is he's clicking the video. He listens to it and he goes, wow, this is really good. I want... Brendan, to share that to my audience, I would love to have you on the show, Brendan. So it's not the volume. The problem is the pitch itself is it's too focused on us, not the value that we're delivering. Stages is a a little different. It's a lot harder. I've had a lot more challenges with that. One, it's just overall brand that you're working on. But the most important thing in my opinion here, Tim, if you want to be successful, is A, you have to do it for a long time. And B, and I want people to write this word down. You need to be undeniable. Undeniable. And I don't say this to gloat. I don't say this to brag. I don't say this because I'm cool. I say this because there's a reason why Tim invited me on the show. I didn't ask to be on the show. right? I got invited. And the reason I got invited is because when Tim watches my social media, when Tim goes to my workshops, I'm undeniable. He goes, okay, this person's like really, really sharp. So the question for all of you listening is when you're delivering a workshop, when you get that opportunity from your network, are you doing a great job? Or are you knocking it out of the water? And that's really where you want to get to if you want to get more speaking agents. And I've concluded my rant back over to you, Tim. <laughs> hey
0: man, that was tremendous advice because we do get a ton of people that want to come on the show all the time. There's podcast booking agencies. And at this point I don't even look at them now, but what they don't do, what I have never gotten yet is a video saying this is what I can share for your audience, not once. So, I mean, obviously it works because nobody else is doing it. It's just a small tweak that will obviously set you apart. Um, so I need to get this answer from you because obviously I host a lot of shows. I've guessed it a few times and I get bored out of my mind because I get sick of talking about myself. So, I mean, it's like you're repeating the same thing all the time. What I like about hosting is everything is fresh. Everybody is new, I get new questions every time. When I'm talking about me, it's not new. I obviously know myself intimately, or at least I should. Um, <laughs> so what would be your recommendation for somebody that maybe should go out and guest more? I would say it would definitely grow my audience a lot if I just went out there and guested more. But I just I don't
1: like it that much. That makes perfect sense, Tim. And I and actually I think a lot of that answer to the question actually came from your own comment, which is, hey, Brennan, I don't really like guessing on podcasts. Let me start with this. If you do not like guesting on podcasts, and this is true with any growth strategy for any goal, you should probably avoid doing it unless it's absolutely necessary. So it's kind of like me and paid ads. A lot of people who, who make more money than me, oh, in my in my industry, they go, "Why don't you run paid ads?" I was like, eh, "I don't really want to," and that's okay. I'm I'm leaving money on the table because of that. But it's like I got to find the right vendor, then I got to spend, and then I got to fire a few agencies, and it's like I don't want to go through that, but I have to make up for it. So that means I have to get a lot better at word of mouth. I have to post a lot more on social media. And those are things I'm willing to do. So so why do I still say yes to podcasts? The main reason, Tim, just so people understand, is not to generate business, especially since I've been on so many shows. I can tell you I've made money, but not like millions of dollars. Maybe I've made 75K. But keep in mind, 75K is not a lot of money because I've invested 500 hours to make 75K right? So it's actually not a lot. So most of my business, the bulk of it comes from like word of mouth, social media, all that stuff. All's to say, which gets to the punchline, why do I do it? The reason I do it is because my dream is to be on the biggest podcast in the world at some point, right? It's to be on Joe Rogan's show, to be on Lewis Howes' show, to be on Lex Friedman's show. So if I want to get on that show one day, I need a practice for those opportunities today, That's why I guest on so many because most of those shows, I can brag about that number all day, Tim, but being you both probably know the answer internally, a lot of those shows had zero listeners, right? It was just the host asking me questions. It was like a weed podcast, a sports podcast. I would just say yes to everybody because it would just help me practice. So for those of you listening, to Tim's point, you are right. When you're a guest on a show, unless you're being interviewed by like a GOAT interviewer like a 0.1% percenter, like goat, like a Lewis house type of guy, like you're not, you're going to be asked the same questions over and over again. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that because that's the expertise. That's what people need to learn. So if you're not willing to do that, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to do the same message day in and day out because I, I just love it so much. And it's it's aligned with what my future version of myself is. But for you, if that's not aligned with who you want to be, you don't care about being a big public figure, which most people don't, by the way, Then don't then don't bother.
0: I don't know, man.
1: I, you're, you're kind of touching my competitive
0: edge right now. I'm just like, Brendan just kind of challenged me. Um, it's like now, now I feel like I have to guest on shows more. And it's like, I need to prove to Brendan that I could refine my story to a mastery and I could be undeniable locally. So I have a question for you. I have a question for you. Um, it seems like you lean online to build your status for offline? Is that what you would recommend to somebody that's getting into speaking? Really, really get on online, and then once you get good at that, you can start working offline?
1: Uh, For me personally, in, in, in the frame of getting more speaking engagements offline, yes, 100%. Because online is so much more scalable. And I think what I like about this industry, even if it's gotten a lot more competitive over the years, it's also a lot more fair. And what I mean by fear is anybody can make YouTube videos online. Anybody could invest money into Instagram content and make it blow up. If you're really talented, you'll eventually win. And that's what I think is really powerful and magical is it gives opportunities for kids like me. I mean, nobody would have looked at me and said, you're going to be one of the greatest communication experts in the world. Like nobody. I have a crooked left arm. I live in my mom's basement. But because of social media and online, I'm able to create a brand that all of us have the opportunity to really build for ourselves. And that's what I encourage all of you to do. However, what I will say is building offline relationships is also key because you can get access to secret speaking engagements that are not, which is most of the speaking engagements, by the way in the world, where you you get like a, a referral. Like most of my corporate speaking engagements it's because my friend is the vice president at this company. They came to my free training. They said, hey, let me pull you in for this speaking engagement. So, yes, you have to build relationships offline, too, for sure.
0: All right. Very cool, man. I'd love to talk about what it's like to work with you so we could talk about that. What do you do with a new student? Like what, what does the process look like when you have somebody new that wants to work with you?
1: Yeah, for sure, Tim. I always like to keep it simple. Unless you unless you want the details for, for value. But for, for those of you who are interested in coaching, what I always encourage people to do is to visit the YouTube channel, which is go to Master Talk, right? Just to watch the YouTube videos that are free. And the second one is to attend our free training. We do a free workshop on communication that's live over Zoom every two weeks. And the website for that is rockstarcommunicator.com. So just attend that workshop if you're really interested in coaching and we can go from there.
0: Do you usually encourage people to do some work on themselves before reaching out to you? Or are you cool just jumping in with somebody that's totally green?
1: For sure, Tim. I'm, I'm always cool jumping with people who are green. Here, here's kind of my advice on this, right? When, when is the right time to hire a speech coach? For me, the, the simple answer is when your time is more valuable than your money. Let me give you an example. So let's say you're a student right now, you're fresh out of college, or you're starting a business, you don't really have any money, you don't really have a job yet, or you're making a little bit of money. Let's say less than 100 grand a year is the number I always like to throw out there. You're making 70 grand a year, 60 grand a year. For, the, for those people, I don't recommend a speech coach just yet, unless you got rich parents, then, then go for it. But, but the reason is simply just because you're getting started, your money is more valuable than your time. So use your time. Listen to podcasts like this. That's what I did when I couldn't hire coaches. Listen to podcasts. Go to free trainings like the one we talked about. Watch YouTube videos. Read books on community because you have a lot of time. But then what happens is as you get older, if you're really successful, it could happen in your late 20s. If you're kind of um, just most people, maybe it'll happen in your 30s, 40s. When you cross the six-figure level, your hourly rate is like 50 bucks an hour now. Right. So the question you need to always ask yourself is not that you can't figure it out on your own, but rather, is it worth it for me to invest 60 hours of my life to solve this problem? And if I can't solve it in 60 hours, I just wasted three thousand dollars of my time. So the reason why people hire coaches, like, why do I pay so much money for my coach is because I want to speed up time. Time is the resource that I'm always lacking. So I'd rather get somebody to tell me what to do, how to do it. So I don't have to spend the years of figuring this out. So that's why, Tim, it just ends up that my clients are usually managers and above in a corporate setting. They're VPs, they're SVPs, they're CEOs of big companies, or they're, uh, they're developers because their starting salary is really high. But outside of those three categories, yeah, just follow the tips that I gave for free and just implement them.
0: So this is obviously a relative question. Um But what is a projected timeline for improvement in communication skills? Um, If they do the exercises, if they do all the work, which is an important caveat, I don't know how many clients you have that don't, but I do know oftentimes you could give everybody the keys to the kingdom and they're just not going to do it. They're going to refuse to do the work. So (laughs) if they do the work, what is a good anticipatory timeline for improvement?
1: For sure. So, So let's go through a couple of nuances here. A little bit of improvement, I can guarantee in like 30 minutes. Easily, easily, easily. If you're you're starting like rock bottom, you go, uh, 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 all the time, 30 minutes, you'll see improvement easily. I'll tell you why. Because for people who are beginner speakers, the random word exercise scares them to death. They're not willing to do it once. So if if I force you to do it 10 times in 30 minutes, after the 10th time, you might still make mistakes with speaking. Obviously, it's only been 30 minutes, but you'll 100% see improvement. You'll go, oh my God, like, this is so good. Now let's go to the second nuance. Where do we see like a 20 to 30% spike in somebody speaking? That will largely depend. So there's kind of nuances here, right? Is it when they're working with me or is it in general if they're working on this themselves? So if if it's what they're working with me, I could say three to five days. And I'll tell you why so you can practice on your own. It's because what clients do, I just don't cover that on the show because it's not easy for people to implement, which is basically like they'll send me videos during the week. And I'll give them feedback. You said, I'm here. You did this. So because I'm doing it, I can get them results really fast. They'll send me five videos. The fifth video is just outstanding. But I can't say that on a podcast because somebody who's listening can't actually – because they're not sending me videos. That's why I say random word exercise question drill and and video message to add the most value to people. For those of you who are doing this on your own, I would say – it would be the time frame to how quickly you can get to 100 random word exercises. That's probably the easiest way to detect improvement. So if you're really intense, I, and you do 10 to 20 random word exercises a day, but if any of this doesn't make sense, follow up to it. It will take five to six days, you'll see massive results. If same thing with video message, how long does it take you to do 100? How long does it take you to answer 100 questions about your industry? And the timeline for some of you it might be three months, if you do one a day for three months, you'll it'll take three months. If you do 10 times a day, it'll take you 10 days. If you do 20 times a day, it'll take you five days. So that would be my answer if you're not working directly with the speech coach.
0: Okay, two questions off of that. They're pretty similar, so I'll just go with them. How do you define if you're doing too many filler words like um, like, and so on and so forth? And just a question on the random word exercise because I'm going to do it. Um, if the word is goat milk... And I don't know anything about goat milk. Is it the same process of like improv where you just go wherever your mind takes you? Um, And we'll take it from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Tim. And and I'm happy to demonstrate goat milk really quick. So it would sound something like this. Ever since I was a kid, I always hated milk. But my mom always forced me to drink it because she told me a story about how one of her friends, when she was walking on the uh, outside – and she fell, she broke her legs because she didn't have enough calcium, which actually isn't really true in retrospect when I learned a little bit more about health. But the reason I mentioned that is people will always tell you to drink a bunch of weird things. Maybe it's milk. Maybe it's eating some cheese. Maybe it's drinking goat milk. What, what do I know? It doesn't really matter what it is. But the point is you need to listen to your gut, listen to your intuition, and really find out what's actually healthy for you. So that's the random work. So you just take something random, you run with it, like you said. Can you remind me of the second question that you had?
0: It was, how do you define if you're using too many filler words? And I asked this because I used to, I used to worry about, um, a lot. And then I did an app. There's like an app and it, it defines how many filler words you're using. And it compares you to like a median and it's like, oh, you're better than average. You're like way better than average. I'm like, oh, I never have to worry about that again then. Um, I'm just curious, like how much should anybody be thinking about it? Cause I do do yeah. it sometimes, but according to that app, not that much, um, <laughs>
1: I agree, Tim. You know, for me, the reason I never liked the app approach is it feels so intimidating and aggressive. You said 53 filler words. So if you say 57, you're garbage and you're a loser. It's like, wait, what? Like, how does this make any sense? So for me, a good good range is less than 5% of the time. If you say a filler word every three to five minutes, no one's going to notice. Unless they're a speech coach like me, I'll notice. But most people won't. But the general idea which I think is more important is how do you actually fix this? One is understanding where it comes from, which by the way it comes from school. When we get asked questions when we're in front of an audience and people ask us a question or we forget what we want to say next, we go uh yeah, so to buy ourselves time. That's the reason why we do that. But then the other piece is going how do you fix this? And the way that you fix this is actually really simple. You take a step back and realize that the best speakers in the world still buy time, but they just say nothing to buy time. They're not smarter than us. They just go, oh, Tim has a question for me. Great question, Tim. Here's the way that I would approach. I just bought myself like three to four seconds. And that's really the key is practice that forced silence we talked about where you're pausing and try and leverage that skill set to replace all of your ums and ahs. And that's how you win that game.
0: Absolutely, man. And I actually noticed that when you did the random word exercise, you slowed down. (laughs) It's like, oh, slowing down is strategy. Um, And that's actually, that's one of my favorite things. If I ever get stuck, if I'm on like a sales consultation, I'll just repeat what they said back to them so I have time to think. Um, (laughs) It's like, oh, so you... Don't like doing that. Why is that? Um, And then I have time to think about whatever my next response is. Um, So that's absolutely tremendous, man. Um, I've had a lot of fun on this show, man. I've learned a whole lot, and I'm actually going to implement a lot of it. If anybody listening wanted to get in touch with you, Brennan, what would be the best
1: way for them to do so? For sure, Tim. Such a pleasure to be on the show. Thanks for having me, man. So two ways to keep in touch. The first one is the YouTube channel. Just check out Master Talk in one word. You'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to speak. And the second way to keep in touch is go to rockstarcommunicator.com, so you can register for one of the free workshops that we do live over Zoom, so you can see me implement a lot of these tips, like the random word exercise we did today.
0: All right. There you have it, everybody. You know where to reach out to him, and you have some very actionable content here. If you want to go to speaking, he just told you how to do it by yourself. So go out there and do it. So. Brandon, once again, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom has accomplished one action at a time. So go out there and commit to taking massive action. you got super actionable content here. Go do the random word exercise. Apparently, that's all you need to make massive improvements. So do that five to ten times a day for three to four weeks, and you're going to be an amazing speaker relative to the norm. On top of that, he gave you the secret sauce, which I could confirm works. It will definitely work. Nobody's done it to me yet request to be on the show, give them a slight compliment and then give them some proof that you actually know what you're talking about and you will definitely get results. So go out there and do it. Tell somebody you know that will help hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show.